The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode was brought to you by Macy's. Now that we're through the holidays, thank God, we need to talk about our next major holiday worth noting and celebrating, Valentine's Day. Sorry, but I just really love a holiday. I know it's not everyone's favorite, but the romantic in me has a soft spot for February 14th. I really am a true believer that you don't need to be in a relationship to buy into this holiday. Let's be honest. If you love pink, if you love red, if you love hearts, it's for you. If you love candy, which, you know, my kids do. Those candy hearts, come on. I'm just going to come out and say it. I think we've all been taking Valentine's Day a little bit too seriously. Put too much pressure on it. It's just meant to be fun and a day devoted to love. With that said, I want to point you guys towards my favorite resource for all things gifting, Macy's Gift Finder. I know I've been talking about this for over a year now, but I love it. It's easy. You guys know I use their gift guide obsessively for everything. It is the most organized curation on the internet, literally. You're going to get 25 to 40% off underwear and lingerie from Calvin, Klein Gap. They've got top brands. Some exclusions may apply, so make sure and check that out. Use Macy's Gift Finder to find the perfect gifts for everyone special in your life. And don't forget you. It's so important that we celebrate ourselves. Just, you know, get us a little gift every now and then. Maybe get yourself those earrings you've been dying for, or that bag, or that perfume, or, I don't know, maybe a new pair of shoes. If you guys checked out my stories on Instagram last week, I talked about this, and I even tried out that green screen feature that scrolls behind you to show you how to do it and how to get your gift ideas. I know, I'm a little old, but it definitely works. If you need any sort of inspiration, check out all gift options and more at macy's.com slash giftfinders. Hey, I'm Molly Sims. And I'm Amisha Gormley. We're two girls obsessed with one thing, beauty. beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. We're calling on our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. With a drink in hand. Definitely with a drink in hand. <laughs> You're listening to Lipstick on the Rim with Molly Sims. I mean... I kind of always think how we have the same 24 hours in a day as Beyonce. I mean, it's a very daunting thing to think about, but I think it's so empowering because it just means we can accomplish so much. So much. And Emisha and I, we actually, between with six kids between us, two great husbands, we accomplish a lot. We really do. We, we really, we really do. Our next guest, Will happen in twofold. So Tinks, who we've had on our podcast a couple of times, mentioned 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. And she swore by it. And then a couple weeks later, I was in, I don't know, like nail salon. I was somewhere. And I saw two men separately reading it. <laughs> and so I immediately, of course, went home, ordered the book, and became fascinated with Oliver Berkman. He is very famous. He's famous before Tinks and I found him. He has a weekly column in my favorite newspaper, The Guardian, called This Column Will Change Your Life. His book is incredible, 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals. He also has a newsletter. We love the name of this newsletter, Oliver. The Imperfectionist that comes out twice a month. I can't wait for you guys to talk about it. I highly recommend subscribing to it. And today, of all days... We are diving into Time Management 101 for Moms. I mean, everyone really, but it's 101. So Time Management 101. Oliver, we're obsessed with you. And now I know probably the whole world already knows you, but we're kind of taking the mom edition because moms, I mean, we are bad. We have a lot in our head all the time. But mm -hmm. we got a lot going on. So we, we need your help. Okay, well, let's start broad. How did you become Oliver Berkman? And how are you so specific within time management? Well, thank you very much for inviting me to talk. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. You know, I think the story of my interests, I can talk about it as training as a journalist, being interested in self-help culture, wanting to write about the kind of, you know, science of happiness and all of that. Or I can talk about it as me finding a way to do therapy on myself in public, basically, right? And <laughs> having having issues with with time since pretty much as long ago as as I can remember. Right, exactly. And always feeling like I ought to be doing more than, than I was doing and that this never really ended and that you could become incredibly efficient and do a huge amount, but it was never anywhere close to what seemed to be the, you know, the amount 
you ought to be doing. I would later discover, and I write about it in this book, that's partly because the more stuff you do, the more work you generate. So it's never, you're never going to win that battle. I think a lot of us, and I'm one of these people, you know, go through life trying to get to some position where we're sort of in control of everything, sort of on top of it all, and finally calm and serene because we're doing everything that needs doing. And I guess what I wanted to do in the book is is suggest that that's never going to happen. And that is not a good part to serenity. You need to find serenity some other way than getting your arms around literally everything. Why do you measure time in weeks versus days or months or years? Well, 4,000 weeks, the title of the book is like the average lifespan of a human in the West, if you sort of round it down a bit to get a good round number for a, for a book title. And I think what I really liked or was terrified by initially in that use of weeks is that obviously if I stated it in in days, that the number would be a lot larger. But it doesn't feel too bad if you sort of waste a day. And often <laughs> we do in my well, maybe not you, but in my experience, you often don't know where a day went and it doesn't seem to matter that much. You could state it in years, a lifespan, and then it would be a very small number by comparison. But then it feels like it's pretty difficult to waste a year. Maybe sometimes <laughs> you feel you did it, but it's a long period of time. What's so terrifying about a week is, on the one hand, you don't get very many of them. 4,000 or so is not a large number. But on the other hand, it's kind of incredibly easy to like wonder where the last week or two went in your life. So I just think that that calls attention to the, the preciousness of it. Now, that said, I think the title sometimes stresses people out. I hope <laughs> that the book itself has the reverse effect. Why? Uh, and I mean, we're going to we're going to, you know, go a little bit more macro. But why did that? Why do you think this has blown up and really resonated with so many people? I mean, honestly, I have no idea. And you just <laughs> notoriously can't game this stuff. So a lot of it is just is just luck. I think there was a timing thing. It wasn't time to come out um, as we sort of came out of the COVID pandemic, but that's pretty much what, what ended up happening. And I think that a lot of people were sort of forced to kind of reevaluate what they were doing with their time. You know, some people lost work, but other people found that there were aspects of having the world shut down that they kind of didn't mind. And so there are all sorts of odd, odd effects of that. Plus, of course, you know, just the news headlines reminded us that life was finite and, and many people lost people. So I think that was kind of an interesting timing part of it. I also just think people have kind of had enough, I think, of the kind of book or the kind of approach that just says, one more trick, and then you'll finally get to the point where you're fitting all the things in and beginning to maybe realize that, that that's never happening. So I think all I'm doing is articulating something that people were beginning to figure out. I think burnout is real. Like, I think what kind of put a spotlight on COVID was burnout. Like, you didn't really know how burned out you were until you took a moment where like, wait. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say it's, do you feel like COVID and that, you know, immediately what happened with that was everybody started working from home. Do you think that those, that kind of blurred the lines between work and life and family and in turn kind of made time management feel kind of like this, like really overwhelming thing because we didn't really have a sense of time. It felt like it felt like everything was lumped into one. You were working at home. You were you know, not you're eating at home all the time. Like everything was in kind of this one unit. And it felt like to me, time just felt so odd for like a year and change. Do you think that had something to yeah, do with no, it? Totally. I think that is absolutely true. And people have referred, written about this, you know, as being kind of like, it was like time raced by and also Stop. stood still. And it was just really strange. We lost all those temporal landmarks, you know, people may hate commuting and things like that, but it does give a structure to, to, to people's days. And of course, what a lot of people found then was that when there are no boundaries, what happens is that work just <laughs> leaks into all the, the space. Plus, there was this really odd kind of discrepancy in who had time and who had no time, right? I remember as we, we've only got one child, son, so relatively had it easy compared to some people. But as we sort of negotiated, me and my wife, to somehow do our jobs and deal with the fact that the preschools at all closed 
there were people on social media talking about like not knowing how to fill the hours that they now had <laughs> because they didn't have social lives and they, right and there were also there was this whole thing about how you had to use lockdown to like launch your side hustle because now you had all this time you had no excuse and I was like hang on what you you've got lots of extra time now that doesn't that doesn't seem to that doesn't seem to compute so I think it just made the issue really salient as as well as as you say you know just making it really weird and unmoored really yeah all right time management emish and i six kids between us we both work our husbands both work we're interested in multiple things start broad start foundational time management principles if you could give us advice what would it be because this is why we have we're having you on this podcast because we really need you to give us time back it would be great <laughs> i mean the big sort of to really get back to the first principles of what I want to talk about, the sort of message I want to get out is, I think a lot of people approach this topic by saying, whether they do this literally or just sort of, you know, implicitly, here's the list of all the things that I want to do and feel that I need to do. So, or that society pressures me to do. And so now how do I find a way to fit it all in? And I want to start, as the title of the book hopefully suggests, from saying, okay, you have a certain amount of time. There's no limit to the number of things you might want to do or feel pressured to do. That's infinite. And your time is finite. So it's not necessarily going to be a, a, a question of finding the silver bullet technique that enables you to fit it all in. You will not be able to fit it all in, especially if you're kind of an ambitious and driven person. If you want to have a family life and a professional life and and other things as well like it's not going to be a matter of finding a way to fit in everything that occurs to you it's going to be a matter of figuring out how to make those tough choices and figure out what matters the most and give yourself permission to let go of some of the other things right because i think what had then happens is that people really beat themselves up for not being able to fit a fi- an infinite quantity into a finite box even though that's like not how the math works. It's well, I always gonna, feel guilty. I mean, I feel guilty anyway. We're moms. But I'm always like, oh, God, I wish I could have done that. But I'm like, I did 9,000 things, but that, right. you know what I mean? Right. No, absolutely. And we're always comparing how much we've achieved to this kind of effectively infinite amount that we think we could have achieved instead of comparing what we achieved to what we mm-hmm. would have achieved if we'd stayed in bed and done nothing, right? If you, if you flip the the thing you're comparing it to, so many of us do a huge amount every day, but we live in a culture and we function in an economy as well, I think, that, that, is, that is never going to tell you, like, you've done all the things that you, you know, you've done enough at this point. You have to sort of claim that idea of, of enoughness by, by figuring out what matters the most to you and being willing to not answer some emails or being willing to not be a pillar of your community at a time in your life when you're looking after multiple small children and trying to build a career, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so tracking glucose levels has become a really popular thing. And naturally, I had to give it a try. I know there are a bunch of brands that do this, but after doing a little research and due diligence, I found that Cygnos was one of the best on the market. So why do we track glucose levels? So this is where it gets really cool. With Cygnos, you can see which foods cause your blood sugar to spike with reasonable levels and get real-time alerts to do a bit of an exercise to bring them back down. I sort of feel like we've all been waiting our whole lives for this. On average, people make about 227 food choices a day. What I've been loving about Cygnos is that it helps you distinguish the difference between stress eating and physical hunger, and therefore helps you better manage your energy throughout the day and you sleep better at night. For those of you like me who are looking a little bit to lose weight, just be healthy, or you're working towards a certain health goal, their Unique to You program is backed by a growing field of scientific research that points to stable glucose as a key part of overall health. I'll admit, something that I've learned in the past month that I've now been using this, let's just say, one glass of wine. Wow. I'll let your glucose monitor, Cygnos, 
tell you why. <laughs> Signos removed the guesswork of weight loss and provided me with the tools and knowledge I needed to develop healthier habits. It's so interesting what you guys are going to unlock. It combines all my glucose data from the CGM or the Continuous Glucose Monitor with an AI-driven app to deliver real-time glucose insights for optimum health and weight management. Right now, for our listeners, Cygnos has offered 20% off select plan by using code LIPSTICK today. That's S-I-G-N-O-S dot com, Cygnos dot com. You guys use code LIPSTICK to get 20% off select plans today. I'm telling you, you are going to love, you're going to be addicted, you're going to see how your blood sugar, how it can spike, and then you can bring it back down. And you're going to learn about that glass of wine. Go to Cygnos.com and purchase for 20% off. Use your code LIPSTICK on select plans today. I've been doing a huge purge in my house and getting rid of a lot of products from food brands to cleaning supplies that aren't good for us. In fact, I've recently switched all of our cleaning products over to Branch Basics, which is an all-natural brand that's non-toxic, hyperallergenic, free of fragrance, hormone disruptors, and harmful preservatives. It's also baby, kid, and pet safe too. Plus their model, super cost effective, which I'll get into in a minute. I met Yola, which you guys are going to hear our episode on having a non-toxic life. And we kind of really do a deep dive on what we can change and what we can do better. If you suffer from any sort of allergies, asthma, Branch Basics is a great brand to turn to. They're clean from an ingredient standpoint, as well as sustainable. So once you run out of any product, the only thing you need to do is repurchase their concentrate or oxygen boost. Okay, so this is what we started with. We started with their premium starter kit, and it will provide you everything you need to replace all your toxic cleaning products in your home. The concentrate comes in the starter kit, and it's multi-purpose, eco-friendly, and you can literally use it for any cleaning job just by diluting it with water super easy. You'll get the oxygen boost, which pairs with the concentrate for an all-natural way to tackle laundry, stains, and grout. And yes, the oxygen boost, it really works. It comes with five reusable all-purpose glass or plastic bottles you choose. We are partial to glass in our household, and we use Branch Basics to clean everything from our countertops to our toilets to our hands, even Magic and Ruby. It can even be used for bubble bath, which luckily my kids are still young enough to love. Save 15% off on the starter kit or their new hand soap when you use code lipstick on the rim at branchbasics.com. Again, that code is lipstick on the rim, 15% off when you purchase the starter kit or their new gel hand soap. I'm telling you, go for the premium starter kit. It's gonna it's gonna change the way you you clean you clean your home. You have some tips though, specifically, like if you're working and you have children and you're trying to do it all, what would you say are some sort of back pocket tricks you have that can help you manage your time a little more efficiently? So you said lists, but what else could I possibly be doing? I think it really depends on people's circumstances, but if we take people like I'm, I'm sort of guessing mainly that is true for you and is largely true for me that you have a fair amount of autonomy about when you do what, right? If that's not true, then different techniques suggest themselves. But if you if you have a fair amount of autonomy about what you're doing from hour to hour, I think it really helps to take an approach that I call in the book fixed volume productivity, borrowing slightly from another writer, brilliant writer, Cal Newport, who has, a, has an idea he calls fixed schedule productivity. What my adaptation of this is basically to say, you know, figure out, First, how much time you're willing to give to a, a given thing. So say work. This could be a matter of deciding on an end time every day, saying I'm never going to work past a given time, five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock, whatever it might be. And then sort of looking at that fixed volume on your calendar, that that box that, that delineates the time you're willing to give and saying of the hundreds of thousands of things that I could do, with this, with this time, what are the few that I'm going to put into this box? And that is as opposed to what most people do, right? Which is to get up in the morning, think of uh, all the things <laughs> they think need to get done that day, <laughs> yeah. make a list that is hopelessly unrealistic and will be longer by the end of the day, and, and then somehow think that if they just go hell for leather, they might get to the end of it and then are incredibly pressed when they, 
when they don't get to the end of it. And there are a million techniques. I don't tend to sort of really evangelize for one or two of these, but ideas like the approach of choosing five tasks that you absolutely will, that you aim to get done in, in a day, right? So not coming up with the 20 you'd like to do, but the five or even the three that are non-negotiable. There's an approach that I talk about in the book, which I call paying yourself first with, with time, borrowing this from a creativity coach called Jessica Abel, who, who sort of coined the phrase. And that is just the idea that, you know, we often go through life thinking that if we get all the little stuff out of the way first, then these acres of extra time for deep focus or for things that really matter will, will be there at the end. And this will never happen, right? Because I know. The debt. Yeah. It won't right. happen. It never happens. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do all this, but then I'm gonna, then I'm going to like, sometimes I have my most creative moments in the fucking shower, Oliver, like, right. because that's a moment when I'm just sitting there or standing there and like, I mean, normally I have a kid yelling. Distracted. I can yeah. physically yeah. knocking on the door or some magic trying to get in the shower with me, my new golden, but it's, <laughs> I, yeah, but I keep thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to have, I've got to do this project that I was like, okay, can I, I was driving to work. I was talking to so when I work, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get this project to you, which I've outsourced to Amisha. <laughs> I've outsourced half of it to Amisha. So, but I'm like, when I get Amisha's notes with my notes, I'll send it to you. It's, I don't know. It's always like, oh, I can't get it all done. Well, so I think a really important thing to, that people can learn to do here is instead of feeling anxious about all the email, all the little stuff, resolving to get rid of the anxiety by completing all those tasks and then hoping that you'll get the hour to work on your novel or you know the the really important work project whatever it is what you actually have to learn to do is to tolerate that anxiety to put the hour in on your novel or it's just an example obviously first even while you know that the inbox is filling up even while you know that all these tasks are waiting i think it's really a matter of like consciously choosing what you're going to neglect i think that's a really key oh that is such a good strategy, consciously strategy, choosing yeah. what you're going to neglect and you can do this seasonally too right you can say like for the next quarter sure i'm going to do the minimum to keep the house tidy or keep myself fit but it's not going to be the it's not going to be the season when I train for and run the 10K or the Ironman or whatever. You know, that's going to be the next season. And this season is going to be about something. And so just having the patience to go through life in that cyclical way instead of trying to sort of make every day be the perfect day where you hit all the you hit all the things. Sometimes I set unrealistic expectations for myself on everything that I can accomplish. And it feels almost like what comes to my mind, and maybe this is crazy, but it's like when you want to lose weight, right? And you go to somebody mm -hmm. and they're like, I'm going to, you know, don't think of it like you have to you lose 20 pounds. Think of it like you want to lose a pound a week and just be realistic so you don't set yourself up for failure. Mm -hmm. It almost mm -hmm. feels to a degree like it's really important that we be realistic with our own expectations of ourselves, which is really hard as a mom because there's so many yeah. needs at all times. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And even kind of, lowball it compared to what you think you can do right i mean mm -hmm. make it if you're if someone is starting from a sort of sedentary position in terms of in terms of fitness you know go out for a walk or a jog for for two minutes and stop right because it's kind of absurd and the absurdity of it makes it doable and non-intimidating and then you work up i think that's so true and also just kind of patience you know when we're really not geared as a culture for patience and for being patient with ourselves as well, because I think we want to feel in control and in command of everything. And that usually means making everything go at the speed that we think it needs to go to, to get it all done. I find this, I mean, you know, I'm a dad, not a mom and it's different. I know, but I find this really like kids are a training in patience in a, in a, in a million different ways. And there's nothing more guaranteed to backfire than, you know, trying to get my son to get dressed and out of the house faster than he intends to do it. That's going to lead to him taking even longer, right? <laughs> you sort of have to fall in with the rhythms of reality. I also extent. think, you know, the more like I really sit down and I think, okay, what can I do? 
But I think to your point, what can I do? And really realizing like, oh boy, I need help, right? Mm -hmm. So I just did a big reorg in my company that took like two years and I didn't really want to do it. And I knew I had to do it because I'm splitting myself now. And I just, you kind of know when that time comes of like, oh boy, you, you can't, I can't, I'm getting overwhelmed. I'm getting stressed. I'm getting anxious. And so I kind of took a step back over in the past like three or four months to be like, okay, what can I do? What is my, what is my workload? What can I handle? And then sadly, what, I, what can I handle? And that has to, what I can't handle, I can't feel guilty of, but I have to set myself up for success. Mm-hmm. Anyway, these are the changes I've made, Oliver. I'm really trying. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm really trying. Impressed. I you, audited you know, myself. <laughs> I had my own person audit me, which is fucking rough. You know, you're not just <laughs> you're not just three people anymore, which I mm-hmm. was, and I loved being just three people. But I had just working with three people, and that that's that's been a, for Imisha, like you know, who knows me well. Like it's been a big shift in my life. I went from a plastic table, no joke in my bedroom by myself mm-hmm. with a computer, three mm-hmm. small kids in the house, like started everything from this little table. And now it's four years later, all those things that I've kind of planted have started yeah. to to grow. And the hardest thing for me has been, I'm like, oh, I'll just do it. And then I'll, you know, and then I think that's what I've done. And it's, I've almost had a nervous breakdown, Oliver. I'm sorry to hear That's it. Okay. But Don't you, worry. No, nonetheless, coming, you nonetheless, you illustrate an interesting point in your in your suffering, right? Which is that which is that, yeah, none of this is made easier by success and by things going right. That just makes people busier because it because the the opportunities you're choosing from, the things you could be spending any given hour on, there's more of them, and there are more more of them that would be meaningful. And so that job of figuring out what you're going to neglect what you're going to delegate, what you're going to let go of gets harder. It's not a, not a very uplifting conclusion. No, but it's what I think, I think it's really important for management and also your soul and like your life that I was starting to like, I didn't want it to get bigger because I'm like, oh my God, but Mm -hmm. then I don't want to think like that because that's not a really healthy way to think when you start a company, you don't, you don't want it to get bigger, but (laughs) I I do want achievable goals that I can really feel good about instead of constantly feeling like I just, I, I, I can't keep up. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to work, but we'll see. I think it's, I think it's about knowing and correct me if I'm wrong, all right. Is, is it about knowing when you need to stop and ask for help and say, you know what, this is, this is kind of my like boundary where I can't do more. I need help. And I think that's, how do you recognize that internally? Cause sometimes you know, if you don't have someone that can help you, like if I'm at home and I'm trying to take on everything, what what do I need to do for myself to say, okay, stop for a minute, take inventory, you need help. Like you need support, you need an extra set of hands or you need this. You know, I think we're, we're just talking about different versions of that encounter with ordinary human limitation, right? And not with, not an encounter with the fact that you're weak or you ought to be able to do more of it, but just that there's just a built-in limit. And on the other side of that limit, things that don't fit within your abilities, that might be something to get help with. It might be something to let go of completely. But in every case, what unites all this is just that like, there's what you can do. And there's all the things you can feel like you ought to be able to do. And there's just a built in mismatch between those, those things. So I think it, for me anyway, and I know for a lot of people, one of the telltale signs that you're that you're sort of reaching that threshold is when the sort of self-talk, the internal monologue becomes <laughs> really kind of yeah. self-chastising, right? Because you're thinking in that moment, you're trained to believe that that like screaming at yourself a little bit louder or um, driving yourself a little bit harder would finally close the gap. But the question to ask yourself in those moments is like, has that ever worked? Has it ever... <laughs> got to the point where you felt that was all you needed and then you got and then you got over it and I don't think it it ever does this is where also it's not quite the same point that you're making but I think it's related I think it's weirdly useful and encouraging to keep a done list you know to keep a list of things that you do during the day not that you've got to do but that you have completed and just to sort of or in some other way you know if you have a team-based workflow thing you can you can build this in there just some way of visualizing all the stuff that you actually do 
do in a day because otherwise we have this sort of built-in psychological tendency the moment something is completed like that didn't count that didn't matter all that matters is the thing that that isn't done yet and it almost feels kind of silly in some way to say that i do this but whenever i do it's kind of it totally rewires my sort of perspective on the day because yeah you you end up you're doing speaking a- to my soul i actually brought my i still write things down i love a list i love to write my Excellent. calendar down because i think there's nothing more gratifying than checking off what you just said a little check mark beside a to-do item Brilliant. i have like always found that to be the most helpful for me i'll take it one step further we're both like this and now when i see someone i'm like can you write that down yeah. <laughs> and they're yeah. like look at me like you know, you're so fucking old and whatever, like doing their phone or whatever. But I'm like, get write it down. Like mm-hmm. no. even the technique of like even the actual writing of it down helps you mm-hmm. not forget. Yeah. It, remember. remember it. And I do think it's I mean, yeah. I we take notes. I take notes constantly, even if it's just for me to my own self to remember stuff. But I do think I think calendars are really important. I think to do lists like to Emish's point, um, I mean, my, you know, it it never ends. It's it's a it's a list that just will never. It'll just never die. But I do find it productive and more efficient when I because like to you said, if I just got up every morning like okay, what am I gonna like? I would never get anything done. Right. I would yeah. I would get maybe one. Totally. Actually, when I have less to do, if I have more to do, I get more things done. If I have like one or two things, I'm like, why can I not get that done? You know. Yeah, absolutely. And and to your point about writing it down, this was this was one of the big insights of uh, David Allen, who wrote the the book Getting Things Done. What twenty five years ago now, I think, huge bestseller. Just this idea that like your brain is really good at solving problems, your brain is really good at coming up with ideas, but your brain is not really good at storing the the lists of things that you're working on and that are on your plate and that you need to remember. So he was one of the originators of the idea of just like getting everything out of your head into one place could be on a phone could be in a notebook whatever but just like having somewhere that you can trust to turn to to rem- to check that you haven't forgotten everything and not relying on your brain to do that clearing out that bandwidth so you can use your brain for you know more exciting things do that. you have a certain area you like to sit do you tell someone to make their own space make it great do you have like any recommendations like okay do two hours before you take a break? Like, are, are there any little things to be more efficient, but also, you know, not make it too regimented, regimented, and yeah. oppressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've gone through a change actually, because a long time ago as a young adult, I would sort of absolutely put these kind of rigid straight jackets on my day. And I was got excited about them. Like I was going to power through all this stuff <laughs> and about a day into any kind of new scheme like that, I would feel like I'd sort of, voluntarily locked myself in jail or something. It was just like completely, it never worked, it, it, that, that, that kind of thing. So I have a sort of slightly counterintuitive thoughts about this that might not work for everyone, but I think they go along with the rest of what I'm, I'm saying. The first is kind of to have, if you're going to make rules for yourself and for your schedule, to make them flexible in a, in a certain way so that they don't break the moment that a day doesn't go the way you, you planned it to go. So one example of this is, you know, instead of saying you're going to begin work every single day at, I don't know, 7.30 a.m. or something, say you're going to start no later than 9.30 a.m. All those Mm -hmm. times could be totally different depending on your situation, of course. Point being, if you pick a really generous no later than start (laughs) time, you're going to beat it almost every day and feel great about yourself because you're going to get, you're going to start before the time you said you would. If you pick a really strict one, you're going to miss it many, many times and feel, feel bad about yourself. And then the other thing I'm going to say in sort of in uh, counterpoint to an awful lot of stuff on YouTube, especially, you know, where people are laying out the perfect morning routine and the sequence of <laughs> health protocols and journaling and, and all the rest that you should do in the morning, like by all means, have a few of those that you do or a menu of those that you like to pick from. But it is not helpful to get into the situation of thinking that you've got to go through a sequence of like four or five or six things before you can work. You're actually putting a barrier there 
in between you and just getting getting things done. So it's great if you meditate. It's great if you journal. But if you get to thinking, I can't do anything until I've done those things, it's it actually leads to procrastination. It actually mm-hmm. leads to you know doing less. So I would challenge people a little bit to slightly kind of explode their their morning routines and and risk doing it differently for a few days and and see what happens if they're not holding themselves to those those regimes. I am admittedly a huge fan of Chroma Wellness. We had the founder, Lisa Odenweller, on the podcast a while back, and she is really such a pioneer in the wellness space and is so inspiring. If you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend it. I've done Chroma's five-day reset so many times, I can't even tell you. It really is unlike any other program of its kind on the market because it's based on nourishment, not starvation. You actually get to eat real food. This isn't a cleanse. It's a reset. The reset can be used for many things. Let's say you're looking to lose weight, improve your gut health, digestion, sleep better, have more energy, balance your hormones, or you even just want to kind of try to quit coffee. It's truly the perfect way to kickstart a new routine. On the reset, you get 10 delicious foods and beverages to eat and drink every day. It's the opposite of most cleanses. You never left hungry because it's customizable. You can cater it to your own needs, add extra protein, add extra vegetables where needed to keep up with your own lifestyle. Okay, so here's the thing. Five days, you feel amazing. You light, you're energized, you're focused, you sleep better, your digestion will run smoothly. Emish and I did it together a few months back and we really saw a nice, difference. We did it in September, um, right after coming back from summer. I love the reset so much that I actually keep some of their individual products, their morning porridge, their midday elixir, their 24 karat broth. These are things you can buy individually that you can keep in your car, that you can keep your office, you can keep your home. Um, and you just keep going and use it intermittently. I actually fly with some of the individual packets pretty much every time I fly. When you buy two resets, you'll get $150 off. Thank you, Lisa. Chroma is offering our listeners free shipping on all five-day resets for the end of February, as well as 15% off anything on their site with code lipstick on the rim. So order yours today and start discovering the pleasure in the pursuit of healthy living. And if you can, I will bet you guys, you will be addicted to the cookie butter. Oh yeah, it's part of the reset. You'll love it. You guys know I'll just, I mean, I'll try just about anything. I really do love being my own guinea pig. I've recently been testing a red light face mask from Bone Charge, an amazing holistic brand, and it's been really transformative. I suffer from bouts of acne, and it's majorly helped my skin stay under control as of late. Plus, I will say I've definitely noticed a difference in my fine lines and wrinkles. I do my best to use the mask Every other day, 10 to 20 minutes while I'm watching TV, cooking dinner, checking my emails, whenever I can squeeze it in. It's lightweight. It doesn't get hot on your face, which is really, really key. Now, the red light face mask also helps with eczema, which occasionally we get. Plus, it has other more unexpected benefits, such as helping sore jaw, migraines, scar tissue, wound healing, relaxation, razor burns, and ingrown facial hair. Again, if you can have 10 minutes during the day, but I love doing this at night because it actually really has a calming effect. I've talked a lot about the power of the red light on the podcast, and it's so amazing how far technology has come with all the advancements and at-home tools. Bon Charge has a huge range of evidence-based products to optimize your life in every way. And their products, they really do help you sleep better, perform better, faster recovery, balanced hormones, and so much more. From blue light glasses and infrared saunas to red light therapy to EMF management, Bon Charge products help you naturally address the issues of our modern day way of life effortlessly and with maximum impact. Go to bonecharge.com slash lipstick and you guys were going to give you... 15% off. Use the coupon code LIPSTICK. That's bonecharge.com, B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com slash LIPSTICK and use code LIPSTICK for 15% off. I definitely think you guys should try first the red light face mask. You guys are going to love it. I have a question regarding technology because I think, to me at least, I know, I'm going to say my own self, how do you suggest people 
sort of put boundaries up with their technology. Like your, your phone is always at your hand, right? Like my daughter is texting me right now because she's in the house by herself. So like, I just want to make sure she's okay. I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do before I get out of bed is I check my phone. I know in my heart of hearts, that is the worst thing to do. Like I should have, I remember Lauren Bostick saying she like does not touch her phone for the first like two hours of the day. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how you do that. But I also know that it slows me down. So mm-hmm. like, this is a really like, this is my time management. I'm going to be totally, this is like my therapy session right now for four seconds. I wake up in the morning, my alarm goes off at 6.25 a.m. I hit snooze. I allow myself at least two snoozes. But I also have to go downstairs. I have to get my youngest child dressed because she's four. She can't dress herself. I also know I have to make three lunches, prepare three breakfasts, and we have to be out the door no later than 8.05 a.m. to make it into car drop-off by a certain time. Mm -hmm. I allow myself to get distracted (laughs) All the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. And then I get mad at myself and then I get mad at my kids because I can't really yell at myself. So then I yell at them that they're not putting their shoes and socks on fast enough. And I know from speaking to so many moms that that is like the, the number one thing is getting out the door, like managing time. And it's more often than not, it's my fault, right? Like I I can blame my kids (laughs) and get mad at them because it it makes me feel better about myself. But what would you say? Like, are you going to tell me, Emma, put your phone away. Nothing is going to happen between the hours of 6.30 and 8.15 a.m. that requires your attention because your children are right there. Like, what would you say to moms so that they can feel better about managing their time in those pockets of the day where every minute counts? Yeah, this is super interesting because I thought when you began talking, you were going to ask or talk about, you know, getting distracted from kind of focus right so later on in the working day you like to be focusing on some particular that's her project that's her second your... that's her second question that's our second right. question well, that that <laughs> is you know to some extent i'll be honest that's e- that's even the more the more familiar sort of problem from my personal experience anyway but i think that i think that in all these cases right when when one is getting distracted whether from work or from keeping the morning the morning routine moving there are definitely things you can do with the technology, right? You can certainly, if, if the phone is like the other side of the house, when you wake up, you're not going to immediately reach for it because then you like have to get out of bed. And so it's, it's going to be, you sort of, you can make it easy to do the right thing in those kinds of ways. At the same time, I think that there's always some underlying psychological thing that's going on when we reach for our phones, right? There's something that we're sort of trying to avoid or distance ourselves from in what's happening to us around us. And very often it can be just incredibly useful to, to think about that and to figure out what, what that is. And if you find that, you know, you're, you're checking your phone because you are irritated at people's responses to your efforts to get them to get moving and get dressed and get out of the house. Or if there's part of you that kind of resents that it's your job in, in life at that time of day to have to (laughs) do all this stuff, right? Like, I think one can own that reaction, right? You can sort of, you can see that that's what's going on. And when you understand that technological distraction is almost always a a, a response, an an attempt to sort of escape the moment in some way, just seeing that makes it a lot easier not to do it. And I would just add as well that if it is a question of, you know, it depends on the context because there are plenty of times, family meal times, working on a piece of writing. There are all sorts of contexts where you really mustn't be (laughs) scrolling through social media instead of focusing on the moment. But as well, I think we maybe are a little too purist and hard on ourselves sometimes, right? If, if your air traffic control of the family is like, is like working for a moment and you're using that downtime to look at your phone for a couple of minutes, like Okay, maybe the literally perfect person wouldn't do that, but I think it's sort of a more it's a more resilient attitude to life to have to sort of cut yourself some slack where that happens too. So I think it's a sort of multi-pronged battle, right? It's it's putting the technology, making the technology harder to access, harder to reach. I've got most of the time, not right now actually, so I'm lying, but usually I have my phone in grayscale, which has this in black and white, which is this whole thing that there's a whole trend to make your turn the colors off on your phone 
and it and it's really strange how much less appealing it makes it as a wait as a what's it called it's called gray grayscale grayscale yeah if you go it's always some different on different phones but if you go on an iphone into the uh, the accessibility settings you can get to a place where you turn it from color into black and white and it's just really odd how much less it says something very um ridiculous about us as kind of animals who like shiny colorful objects basically but but the moment that the moment that you do that you'll find yourself picking it up less less frequently so there are things like that but then i think getting in touch with what's going on in you when you feel the urge to distract yourself is is really helpful not because you can necessarily fix it but just because you'll you can be a bit friendlier towards that urge and then gradually learn to resist it a bit more but i do think taking breaks are important you know i do think like you know giving gas to filling up your tank to recharging this is a perfect example i get off a long zoom i'll have, i'll have been on a zoom for like 2 hours the moment that i end my zoom my assistant will walk in the door. I'm like, and I really want to tell her, I'm like, you just give me like two minutes before yeah. you're going to ask me a question. But then I feel rude. Then I don't. Then I answer the question and then I'm like, and then I keep going on to another Zoom. But sometimes I'm like, oh, I just like, I can't answer another question, you know? And so like, I don't know when people are like, like, hey, do you have two minutes? Like, it's so nice. You know, you did that the other day, Rosie. You're like, hey, can I have two minutes? I need to go over something. I was like, oh, yeah, it's so nice. I'll fit you in, you know, as opposed to like just walking in and being like, okay, like, and I do, I love to roll things, but every now and then I'm like, oh, I'm tired. I think, you know, yeah, building in rest, turning, making it as important in your schedule as, as meetings, I think is a, is a really good strategy if you can get away with it in your professional situation. Certainly not everybody can, but but many people can. Something that I've found really useful as someone who needs to sort of spend a few hours each day writing if I'm going to keep the <laughs> you know show on the road in, in any way at all is, is not to try to control my whole schedule, which is absurd, especially if you're working from home with kids, not to try to kind of make a plan for how the day is going to unfold, but to really defend and ring fence maybe three hours in the course of the day and to sort of put a lot of effort into being undisturbed and undisturbable and in some place where people don't even know where you are maybe well i hid in the nail salon the other day emma shinumi i called her and she was like where are you i was like they don't know where i am i was like at the beverly hills it's great nail salon i used to go when i was a model like living by myself single and fabulous and i was like no no one and then i went to jill cole and then i went to my favorite soup place and it was only an hour but i was like oh this is so fun yeah perfect strategy i know and then you can be really open and roll with whatever happens and be very accessible and open and reachable in the rest of the time if you're kind of, if you're ring fencing that time. So I try, you know, after the morning stuff has, family stuff has finished, I try to make sure that there's going to be usually about three, three and a half hours where nothing else is, is ever going to happen, but I'm going to try to make progress on my main stuff. And then after that, I don't really try, and and it's fine if I'm interrupted all the time and life gets chaotic because I've because I've defended that that bit in the morning. Yeah, the mom or dad seventy four times in a row. You're like, oh, it's fine, good. Hey, how are you? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, Elizabeth, my producer, and I were talking about perfectionism, and you have a, the imperfectionist. That's bi monthly. We talk a little bit so everyone can subscribe and now know your name. They don't know you already, Oliver. Sure. Yeah, that's the email newsletter. I've I had a slightly imperfect record at doing it twice monthly recently <laughs> in the last few weeks as well, actually. But that's just on brand, right? I'm hoping. It it just seems like, yeah, I, I mean, I'm there. I'm just writing about what's on my mind. And I'm amazed at how frequently it resonates with people. And the thing that people, the sort of nice thing that people say more more frequently than, than anything else is like, like, it feels like I was inside their brain or something when I when I wrote it. I think that really just shows that there's lots of us suffering from these kinds of issues. Perfectionism, I think, is you know some as a classic form, right? Which is you want your work product to be absolutely perfect, or you want your home or your appearance or to be absolutely perfect. But I think almost all of us are perfectionists in one way or another because, again, the desire to manage your time perfectly is a kind of perfectionism the the desire to you know be on top of every 
obligation that you feel is a, is a form of perfectionism. It, it's all this kind of absolute approach that says, if something is making a demand of me, if somebody is making a demand of me, like there's got to be a way to, to meet that demand and to meet it in a, in a, in a perfect way. So in all sorts of different ways, I'm always returning to this theme of like that perfection doesn't exist in, in the real world. That's something that exists in our, in our minds to torment us by the gap between reality and that, and that thing in our minds. And it's not necessary anyway, even if it were possible, right? We're just, all we're doing is choosing among the things we could do, doing them as well as we can do them, falling short of perfect standards all the time. But but by definition, not because we're not putting in the right effort or we haven't bought the right, you know, book on how to organize your day or something. It's just, it's just like built in to being human that anything, any product we launch, any artistic work we create, any, any sort of parenting that we do is going to fall short of what we can imagine it ought to be. It's just built in. I think in during COVID, I think we all learned, you know, I certainly Amish and I did like the power of no, you know, if you say yes to something, it's taking you away from something else you really want to do. So again, right. we always talk about the, used to talk about the power of yes, but the power of no is really powerful in that way. Yeah. And that really helped me. Not, not that COVID gave me an out, but it did like in a weird way. It allowed me to like, do I really want to do that? Right. Do I really yeah, want no, to it, do that? And it that personally really, really helped me because I'm I'm a yes, I'm a real pleaser. It's such a good point it's, because you know that the thing is that the way that I always find very liberating to think about this is that you're effectively saying no already, right? It, it, it's only about literally doing what I mean. Because there's only so much you can do, because there's only so much time, any decision to spend an hour on anything is automatically a decision not to spend it on a hundred other things that would be quite good. So if you if you don't say no to certain kinds of incoming demand, then you're just effectively saying no to spending another hour with your kids in that time or something, right? The no is being implicitly said whether you take responsibility for it or not. So all you're doing when you learn to say no better is, is making explicit what we all have to do anyway as, as humans. There's that lovely line from Elizabeth Gilbert who says that, you know, we think that people talk a lot about saying no. They think it just means learning to say no to the things they never wanted to do in the first place. But actually it means learning to say no to things that you would like to do because there's so many things that most of us would like to do over and above what we're actually going to have time to do. So saying no is even harder than just like saying no to things that you don't want to do. It's it's saying no to things you do want to do as well. Do you think hybrid, and this is a big question, do you think it helps people be more efficient, less efficient, happier, not happier? How do you feel? I was on, I went to a summit this summer uh, in New York and the panel of incredible CEOs were, were very mixed on it. Mm. Some believed and some said, do the Yankees, you know, play and not play at Yankee stadium. Like some people were very direct on their feelings of, you know, the hybrid of, of work from home. I, I don't think there's one answer. I think like it's so easy for hybrid to become the worst of both worlds instead of the, <laughs> instead of the best of both worlds. Right. So like you sort of, go in a few days and don't really do anything because you're so distracted and then you go home and never really get into a rhythm of work because you're only there for a couple of days. I think, um, you know, I, I don't claim to be a sort of organizational management expert person, <laughs> but I do think that there's a real issue with leaders, managers, senior people wanting, like organizing companies according to their own anxious need to know what people are up to rather than according to what seems to get the best results and lead to the, the happiest people. I think one of the things that did come out for me strongly from, from, from writing the book was that there are benefits to not having total control over your own time, right? So there are there may be downsides to being obliged to come in two or three days a week, but there are upsides as well to falling in with those kind of communal rhythms. There are things that happen when 
you are not running your schedule completely yourself. That wouldn't happen otherwise. Serendipitous encounters, collective projects that need people all to be in one place, whatever it is. If you just say to everybody, you do exactly what you want as long as it, as long as it, you know, you get the work done. They may get the work done and that's great, but it can really sort of undermine cultures. Traditionally, all sorts of traditional cultures have all run on the basis that, you know, everyone goes to church on the same day or everyone, you know, gathers around the campfire at the same time of day or whatever. And we need a bit of that in our lives, even Uh, though it feels like an imposition on our, on our um, personal control of our time. I like hybrid. I mean, it's mainly women we work with, so I really want to, you know, hold that. But I do think there is an importance of being in person at certain times and learning and being together and listening and having those moments. And I, especially for the younger ones who need mentors, mm-hmm. I think it's hard to be mentored over Zoom. Yeah. I think that is a, I think that's really, really hard on our younger generation to, for them to, to learn and to grow and see how things work or how things don't work, but also be involved in those meetings, even if they're just listening. Right. And being around and I don't know, I, but I do, I think for me and my company, I, I love hybrid. I love having us all together and then adios amigos, see you later. I'll see you on a Zoom, (laughs) you know. Yeah, I think there's, there's, there's strange stuff that goes on in, like in, physical face-to-face. There's a whole lot of research about how like really senior diplomats who are holding negotiations to stop wars breaking out and stuff, they will never settle for Zoom and telephone calls. They always ultimately need to like be in the room with people because there's just a, there's just something that almost below consciousness that is really important. about. Mm-hmm. I think it's about sort of a, I think there's the camaraderie aspect of it. And, you know, I know my husband works in the financial industry and there, there was like a really slow roll back to in-person work. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, him and I were talking about it one day and he was like, can he get all the work done at home? Yes, he can. Can you also at the same time accomplish more because you're physically able to like wheel your chair around and say, hey, did you hear about this? Like there's mm-hmm. just something that happens, I think, in person that you can't you know, you have to dial in and catch somebody on yeah. a Zoom as opposed to like walking over. But time management being the the issue. <laughs> I also remember, you know, being yakety yan at work whenever I would, you know, pop into someone's office to get, you know, a paper on something. And then I'd be like, oh, well, by the way, did you hear this? beauty? Like, I would just start having a conversation. And now all of a sudden I've lost 20 minutes of my time. That person is probably waiting for me to leave their office. And I'm just blabbering away <laughs> because... I'm there, right? Do you remember so when I would come and see I you think, at work, that was so fun. You didn't work at all. <laughs> no, I was like, I she would come whenever she was in New York. I just knew to block off, and I was like, I've got. She's really important. I mean, I I'm gonna place a dress on her, and now I can have four hours of my day to hang out. With okay, her. we do a little rapid fire on lipstick on the rim. I probably know this answer, but books or TV? Oh, books. <laughs> I figured. I I have a question for you that's not on this rapid fire. Are you a procrastinator or not? (laughs) Yeah, less and less so. But but the reason I'm interested in all these problems we have with time is because I have them. (laughs) Love it. Uh, What do you wish you had more time for? Basically everything. I would like to have kind of, you know, 12 hours a day to focus on work, 12 hours with my family and friends and 12 hours to like, sleep and read books. It doesn't work that way. Are you a morning person or a night person? I'm a total morning person. Me too. Which is why this, this, <laughs> this is uh, so hard. I know. Time... Okay. Are you a texter, a FaceTimer, or do you like to talk on the phone? I really like to talk on the phone, but I don't do it very much. That's that like, as with so many things, right? It's like when I actually do it with good friends, it's the best thing ever. But the rest of the time I'm a, I'm a WhatsApper like everybody else. Coffee or tea? You're English. Coffee. Oh, coffee. Yummy. No, yeah, coffee. Yummy, coffee. I'm, I'm not very English in that respect, although we all drink coffee here anyway and um, copy the Americans in all sorts of other ways. What's your superpower? Well, I said in a newsletter recently that my superpower was turning any new exciting opportunity that came my way into something that feels like a terrible chore and an obligation. <laughs> That's kind of like an anti-superpower, but I think it's been interesting to, to get a handle on it. I think my 
I, I think the thing I do in my work that I'm proud of doing is taking like philosophy and complicated abstract ideas and making them understandable and relevant on a day-to-day basis. You do it very, very, very well. Before we go, we ask every guest, if you could give advice to your 10-year-old self, what would it be? 10. That's interesting. I think it would be in the next few years, you're going to start taking all your work and grades really, really, really seriously. And you should just chill out a little bit because it doesn't actually matter as much as you're going to think it does. And it's not worth the anxiety. You're amazing. Really are. Like I we've like I wanted to have you on for literally like three months. So thanks for making it happen. Four thousand weeks, time management for mortals. Oliver Berkman at Oliver Berkman and he has a twice monthly column, The Imperfectionist. And where can we get that? Uh, all of this stuff is at my website, which Perfect. is Oliverberkman.com. Yeah. Oliverberkman.com. You're amazing. We're gonna Thank be so we're gonna much. be it's better. Been such a pleasure. Time we're gonna be, management. We're gonna be better at managing our time. By the way, if we don't call each other, we're we gain like at least forty five minutes extra in a day. <laughs> Every day. Every day. Every day. But that's also it's a priority, right? We, and right. that's what it is. By the way, it's a priority. And we're thinking of things to talk about on the podcast. So it's actually work productive. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, you guys, we will see you next Thank week. You so Make much. sure and follow Oliver. Michelle, I love you. And we will you. see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Lipstick on the Rim with Molly Sims and my ride or die, Amisha Gormley. We are always so excited to bring you guys along on this journey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok at Lipstick on the Rim or my website where we just dive a little bit deeper into my favorite products, trends, and much, much more on mollysims.com. This podcast is a production with Dear Media. A special thanks to my team, Elizabeth Tawfield, Schaefer Carrillo, Ken Ryan, and Anna Sessions and everyone at Dear Media. Don't forget to listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on the fun. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.